Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 74, recorded on June 3rd, 2020. The Cloud Pod gets their groove back. Good evening, Peter. How's it going? Hey, going great. How about you, Ryan? Doing well, doing well. And Jonathan? I'm pretty good. I ordered a pool today. Oh, that's a that's a bit of investment unless it's the the inflatable kind you buy from Amazon. It is not the inflatable kind. You can order a pool. Well, you sign a contract for construction, I guess. So when I was lamenting in the office one day about how much per swim costs, because I calculated it between the chemicals and the pool service and the water bill and all the electricity to run the pool cleaners and all that, and I basically told you that I calculated it out to twelve dollars a swim. You didn't listen to me, did you? I did. <laughs> and yet, here we are, you're buying a pool. So there you go. He just well, decided he had, okay. he had extra money, and it is really hot outside. And we're all stuck at home. It is very hot today. It was very, very warm. Yeah. Yeah. I just got a feeling all the gyms are going to close down, and the, and the city pool will probably have limits on the number of people they have in there at a time and stuff like that, which I like hanging out in the pool. Nice. Well, I do have a fantastic pool service when you're uh, ready to go. <laughs> so. I thought you would have automated it. You can automate some of it. It's still got to be maintained. All right. Well, we have a busy, busy week this week. Uh, so first up is our good friends at Marantis. I don't know if you know who Marantis is. I forgot until this article came out. Uh, but they apparently bought the uh, Docker Enterprise uh, assets from Docker back in November. Uh, we did talk about it on the show. Uh, and we did tell you on the show that we would let you know when they did something with it. And they have apparently announced their first major release uh, since they acquired it, uh, which is the Docker Enterprise 3.1 release. Uh, will bring you new features for Kubernetes as well as GPU support for AI and ML applications. Uh, they did intend to integrate Docker Enterprise into the Verantis Cloud platform, uh, which allows enterprises to deploy and run Kubernetes on-premises. I feel like it's a bit Groundhog Day. Like you said, I have to relearn what Marantis is every time they make an announcement. So last November, I was like, what do they do again? Reading through this, I was I had the same thing where I had to go look it up and go look at what their offering was. And I get it. Okay, it's managed Kubernetes. Right on. I mean, I, I still it's still sad to see Swarm die of such a horrible death and just get consumed by Kubernetes in this way. So there you go. I did not like Docker Swarm. I was not a fan myself, personally, but I, I see the value for small companies. And now those small companies now get to invest in Kubernetes in a big, massive way and spend a lot of money building Kubernetes skill sets. So, uh, you know, you're, the, the startup community loses. <laughs> That's all I can see. That is true. Well, speaking of Docker, uh, Docker comes this week. And, uh, you know, one of the things going into it was that this is the smaller, simpler Docker looking to get its groove back. Uh, and this, of course, has been a couple to Mitchell's two years for Docker. Uh, I remember being at DockerCon with Ryan when they announced uh, their first enterprise product and thinking, oh, okay, they figured out how to monetize. And that turned out to be terribly wrong because they were too late uh, for Kubernetes. Apparently, DockerCon uh, being free and online attracted a lot of people. 60,000 people registered for the event uh, versus the 4,200 people who traveled to San Francisco last year. Uh, and apparently, the only two products they have left are Docker Hub and Docker Desktop. Uh, Docker Desktop, of course, being the strongest of their products. Uh, so we uh, go to our friends over at 56k.cloud, uh, who did a lovely recap for this because I couldn't be bothered to read all their press releases. Uh, apparently, during the keynote, they announced their new strategic partnership with Microsoft, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, Windows containers and Windows scripting language to reach general availability. And then from the Docker desktop, you'll be able to push containers to the Azure container instances. Uh, then Docker Hub has some new features for you for security and teams. And Docker Hub and Docker desktop will get even tighter integration uh, than they already have. Apparently, the Docker Hub security is being provided to you by SNCC. 
uh, S-N-Y-K, for those staying at home. It's kind of like Snick from when I was a kid on Saturday Night Nick. I don't know if you guys remember that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only Snick I was ever aware of. Uh, but that is where you to scan your Docker hub, and that is all available to you now from DockerCon, uh, which was a little bit of a letdown when you don't have all the enterprise stuff. But uh, Docker Hub and Docker Desktop can be very cool, and so I'm glad to see that they got some good attendance at their conference. The only thing I remember about Docker Desktop is every time there's an update, it's like a gigabyte download. Haven't they not caught up yeah. with the idea of like deltas anymore? Well, and I, <laughs> I noticed that when I'm not even running Docker containers, that sometimes it just sits there sitting, sitting with 800 megabytes of memory just sucked up for no reason <laughs> that I don't understand. Well, uh, our Chinese uh, cloud, Alibaba, has uh, had revenue growth to 62%, uh, but that means it's about the sixth, or sixth, si- sixth the size of AWS. Uh, their cloud revenues grew 62% in the year uh, to an annual run rate of $5.6 billion, uh, which is significantly smaller. Uh, there was a couple of good quotes here from the Alibaba CEO and executive chairman, Daniel Zhang. I'd like to say that in the U.S. and in other more developed markets, the SaaS and whole ecosystem developers are more mature already, whereas in China, that developer ecosystem in SaaS is just getting started. And Alibaba very much looks forward to partnering with developers to currently create a very robust ecosystem in China. So there you go. Very, very interesting. They think it's just day one there in China for uh, SaaS and cloud services, and they still think they have potential to become a very big juggernaut. Yeah. Uh, Alibaba has, obviously, the regional advantage. So really, if you think about it, all they have to do is just me too features from the lowest hanging fruit up and follow Amazon's lead, and, and they can destroy it in China. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely, you have China, Asia, Amazon resources, you have Microsoft in China, you have Google probably in China in the future at some point as well. So, I mean, they are definitely still competing with the big players, but the Chinese market you know, may have preferences towards state-owned entities. Well, uh, other than DockerCon this week, also ChefConf happened. Uh, Chef has had a rough year as well, uh, you know, with the uh, all of the fallout of some of their open source blunders. Uh, their conference was also held virtually thanks to COVID, uh, and, and of course, Chef is the predominant configuration management software platform, even though they still run on Ruby. Uh, and I don't quite understand why SaltStack and Ansible and everyone else hasn't just totally destroyed them yet, but they're apparently not. <laughs> so they have three, uh, they have several new features this week. They announced a lot of things for Chef Core and things that we won't talk about here, but three big ones I wanted to highlight for you guys. The first one being uh, Chef Compliance. Uh, Chef Compliance, which of course is powered by Chef and Spec, uh, has been one of their best products over the last few years. This ensures compliance on endpoints across heterogeneous, hybrid, and multi cloud estates while improving speed and com- efficiency. They have two new offerings for this, uh, including the Chef Compliance Audit designed for information security and SecOps teams who wish to maintain complete visibility over the compliance status of their estate. It provides extensive audit content based on CIS and DISA standards, and as well as the new compliance remediation, which allows you to close the loop between audit and remediation and enable continuous compliance. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love how they really focused, obviously, on the security aspect, but um, Inspect, I also think, is super cool just for implementing test-driven infrastructure development. So I, I hope they continue to invest in it. I think they will. I mean, I think that was why they built it, was for that test-driven development side of it. And then they, it happens to be really helpful for compliance. It was a nice uh, extension. The next one I'm actually super happy about, uh, and I'll tell you why when I get through this, but uh, the first next one is Chef Desktop. Uh, this enables IT managers to transform their own configuration and compliance requirements as human-readable code in order to deploy, manage, and secure entire fleets of laptops, desktops, or workstations from central locations. Uh, There's a zero-touch process for enrollment and provisioning of laptops and desktops for both Mac and Windows. Uh, There's automated software application deployment and management, automated policy setting on endpoints with flexibility to fine-tune, low-lift rollouts of software and application updates, transparent device known states via artifacts, 
and security policy enforcements via configuration profile, data encryption, system updates, etc. Again, supporting that continuous compliance story, but for IT resources. Uh, and for me, this one is super exciting because this is a way to get rid of Active Directory. And as you guys all know, I hate Active Directory. <laughs> I hate group policies. I hate everything about them. And I think they're a terrible bane on the existence of computing at this point. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so this is a way for you to actually enforce all those things you're doing in group policy, all those things the AD brings to the table for you. Uh, you can now enforce this infrastructure as code as part of your Chef desktop. Uh, and I think this is really cool. Yeah, it seems like a really natural use for the tool. I'm surprised they hadn't thought of it sooner. There have been people for a long time who've been sort of doing it, um, but it was never really a first-class use case of Chef. And so when you ran into weird edge cases of the desktop UI or Mac OS, um, you know, Chef didn't really prioritize fixing some of those issues. So now that it's a product, I'm hoping that they'll start actually really building out some of the features, maybe even give you capabilities to replace something like MDM solutions as well. Because, uh, yeah. you, you know, with Chef checking into the compliance engine every 15 minutes, it can handle drift very, very quickly. And I was very impressed with the, the managed configurations that they're offering as part of this project, too. Because if you're like an IT shop, especially if you're managing desktop hardware, maybe you're not that familiar with infrastructure's code or Chef cookbooks, you know, and data bags and the whole, you know, can be kind of complex. And so having those managed is going to be great for those teams. I've seen so many tools do this badly. I can't wait to see one do it well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see if they actually make it well, but uh, I, I have high hopes, and I do hope this one becomes a pretty serious product because I'm super excited. And then the last one uh, is something I've actually wanted to build several times around, which is that you can now integrate Chef infrastructure uh, into ServiceNow CMDB. Uh, so basically, when the Chef system, and this is a component called Knife, basically scans the infrastructure to determine the associated CI data, it can now pass that to ServiceNow as well as to Chef Automate, as well as ServiceNow CIs can be imported into Chef Automate. Uh, so this means that all of that data that Knife can now be available to you is now integrated directly into ServiceNow, so you can make that part of your change managers process uh, and track all of your assets and all of your different components, uh, all with the simplicity of having Knife. So not only do you get the power of Knife, which is amazingly complicated uh, with what it can provide you, but it also gets rid of another agent on your box, which is their discovery agent, um, or its need to connect to your box in some way from another remote host and scan your box. So both of those are fantastic wins in my book. You get that compliance, you get that service now capability, and you get that, that full data set that Knife provides uh, of your known state every 15 minutes, which is pretty great. Mm, I guess in combination with the, with the last one, with, with the, the Chef desktop, it makes a lot of sense now we can easily alert on configuration drift or people installing things they shouldn't or things that are out of compliance using CMDB. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. So that, uh, there's other things from Chef uh, Conf this week that if you're into Chef in a big way, uh, do go check out some of the uh, articles and videos they have available to you on YouTube and on their ChefConf website. Uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, they always have really good announcements. Uh, but these are the three that I thought I'd share. Well, moving on to uh, AWS, uh, SaaS contract upgrades uh, and renewals are now available for Marketplace. Of course, the Marketplace has offered over 7,500 listings from 1,500 independent software vendors. Uh, and you can take advantage of things like free trials, hourly or usage-based pricing, monthly, annual AMI pricing, and upfront pricing for one, two, or three-year deals. Uh, and one of the challenges, if you've ever you know, started out with like, hey, we're going to try this uh, particular subscription uh, you know, on a one-year deal or on an hourly deal, is that you commit to it. <laughs> and once you commit to it, if you then realize, oh, wow, we need a lot more users <laughs> or a lot more systems, uh, and you can get volume discounts, so there's no real way to get there. Uh, so what you didn't have had to do is go talk to the vendor, negotiate your special pricing, and then they give you a private offer, and you have to actually cancel your existing contract and establish a new contract to get the changes. Uh, so this now actually allows you to modify your existing contract and take advantage of the new uh, 
advantages you've now done. So new pricing, payment schedules, revised contract end dates, and changes to the EULA can now automatically be applied to your existing um, SaaS contract, which I think is really great. So it just kind of eliminates a little bit of an annoyance. <laughs> that was kind of a pain, especially if it was something like a SaaS, uh, you know, coupled to a, a Salesforce opportunity or something else. Um, there was some limitations with how you had to do that. And there, a lot of times it was me on a phone call with the vendor and Amazon. So we could cancel, change, uh, renew, and not end up repaying for the same product twice. So I think at the end of the day, that's going to be a really nice uh, enhancement to the marketplace. I haven't bought any SaaS offerings through there at all. Well, when you uh, when you have a very large EDP commitment that you'd like to fulfill, <laughs> buying as much as you can through the SaaS, you know, the Amazon Marketplace um, is super handy. Oh, I get it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I didn't understand what this was until you explained it in the the way that I am familiar with, which is the coordination between Amazon and the vendor and me sitting in the middle having to click the button at exactly the right time and give everyone the screenshots to prove that I did it. Now I understand what this <laughs> <Yep>. does. <laughs> now you completely understand what it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, well, the uh, next one is a uh, single sign-on for Amazon has got another partner. So we mentioned a couple weeks ago that uh, they had partnered up with Azure Active Directory. So you could basically connect your Azure AD uh, to Amazon single sign-on. Uh, they have now extended that to the Okta Universal Directory. Uh, this integration allows you to set up your Okta groups and users as members and then have those replicated to AWS single sign-on. Uh, and that also allows them to automatic provisioning of your users in the Amazon single sign-on, which is one of the big features that Okta kind of brings to the table for SaaS apps. Uh, that's all available to you now natively with the integration between single sign-on and Okta. So that's really great, too. Uh, one of the things about Okta Universal Directory, again, my my warpath of Active Directory sucks. Uh, Okta Universal Directory is another way to kill your Active Directory. So just one more one more advantage of getting away from that, that pesky old AD. Yeah, I think we're going to implement, I bet we implement this like three or four times by the end of this year. Tons of people who are already on Okta that want that tight integration that AWS SSO has, I think it's going to be a big hit. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think so too. And my day gig, the first thing I saw when I read this announcement was I started thinking about our sophisticated thing that we use to, to migrate or navigate multiple accounts. And this is slightly smoother. And even though this works pretty well, you know, our current solution works pretty well. Um, tight integration with AWS SSO is hard to beat. So it's yeah. very tempting. Well, and, and think about, like right now, and the way we have our setup, we use ADFS, and we connect into it, we get a long list of all of the Amazon accounts that we have access to. <laughs> and so, you know, if you use Okta, you, that all becomes part of the Okta dashboard, and so it's all right there. You click into the account you want. You don't have to go through Amazon's terrible UI to do it. Um, and there's also lots of advantages. Plus, they have a really sweet um, single sign-on uh, CLI tool to help you do the single sign-on with your Amazon credentials, uh, which is one of the big pain in the butts about using single sign-on solutions when you want to use the CLI capability. So having that native tool is kind of built for you and not, you don't have to manage and maintain. Now Okta is going to do for you. That's really great too. Well, and you can go from SSO between accounts as well. You don't have to go back to Okta and go back to that dashboard. It's pretty slick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Presumably with the, the universal directory, you, you have to have your source of truth be managed by Okta. Do, do most people do that? Or do most people still just use Okta as the SSO piece in front of their own AD? So you can do it both ways. So you can you can either have your source of truth be you know, AD on your premises that Okta is connecting to, and they basically syncs it to their universal directory in the back end. Or you can get rid of your AD and just use their universal directory. And then the other thing, um, you know, we've been talking to Okta a little bit. Um, they also have the ability to actually handle SSH login to boxes. So when you think about the Amazon ecosystem and being able to plug this all in with AWS IAM and some of the SSH capabilities we now have with transparent uh, SSH to boxes, 
tied all to your Octa identity, you can see why you could get rid of AD or this as well. For those of you who use Amplify, uh, and if you're one of you and you are really excited about Amplify, please reach out to us because we'd love to talk to you more at the show because we'd like to learn more about it. Uh, but uh, Amplify has a set of tools and services for building secure and scalable mobile and web applications. Uh, and if you are building iOS and Android applications, uh, they have a new uh, Amplify for iOS and Amplify for Android libraries available to you now. Uh, this reduces the number of SDKs and CLIs you have to basically integrate into your native IDE. And this is a really simple way to now get access to all of the backend capabilities of Amplify, including authentication, data storage and access, machine learning predictions, et cetera, as well as they provide a declarative interface that allows you to programmatically apply best practices with abstractions. And if you think in terms of use cases instead of Amazon services, this could result in higher level abstraction, faster development cycles, and fewer lines of code. Uh, so overall, this is a pretty nice feature for those of you doing iOS and Android development on top of the Amazon ecosystem. So check that out. One of these days, I'm actually going to take on the challenge that I set for myself years ago and develop an iOS app just so that I can use something like this and n- know what I'm talking about, at least in a rudimentary kind of way. But so far, I have not done yeah, it. Yeah, I, I tried it once when uh, they didn't have Swift, and Objective-C turned me off pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, my understanding is Swift is a significantly better uh, programming language for iOS devices. So I should probably, maybe you and I can partner up. We'll just do it together. We'll make a CloudPod app. CloudPod app, I love <laughs> it. it. Yeah, there you go. It would be topical. It would, it would. And then we can, then we can have Justin and Ryan do the thing, and and we curse a lot and drink a lot of booze. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, the next one up here is something that Ryan and Jonathan at least be a little bit happier about. <laughs> Network load balancer now supports TLS ALPN policies or application layer protocol negotiation for those playing at home. Uh, these are policies for the network load balancer. Uh, ALPN is a TLS extension supported by all major browsers that enables the negotiation of the protocol used after establishing the TLS connection, uh, such as HTTP slash uh, two, which I, is there actually a, a official name for HTTP two when you talk about it. Like, I, I don't even know. Uh, using ALPN policies, though, you can now offload your applications TLS HTTP slash two traffic uh, to the network load balancer, improving your security ser- service security posture and reducing your operational complexity. Uh, you can set this up by simply applying an ALPM policy to your network load balancer TLS listener and going and figuring all this out. So this is kind of nice if you are trying to offer HTTP-2 WebSockets. Uh, you can now allow that through the ALB, then reroute it to the NLB uh, for this use case. Yeah, I really like the ability to you know filter and create rules based on at this level, I guess, is the you know, is what I like. And so like, you know, all the application layer seven stuff that you're seeing and then on top of you know, things like these ALPN policies where you can route traffic to different groups or target groups or what have you to make choices. It's pretty sophisticated and kind of neat. The thing that, that did have a catch in there was speedy, SPDY, the, the Google's uh, first go at re-implementing HTTP, but it lost to HTTP2. Mm. I think speedy is a much better name there. <laughs> yes, I like speedy as well. Amazon ECS is launching support for container health checks and a new user interface for load balancers in Spinnaker version 1.20. Uh, this allows you to use container health checks through a Spinnaker deployment pipeline, which is integrated with ECS services. Uh, ECS container pipeline queries determine whether the containers are ready to accept requests and then moves on through your Spinnaker pipeline through the deployment window. Uh, so this is, a, I guess, a great way to do Spinnaker with ECS. I'm, I'm not a huge Spinnaker fan personally, but uh, we'll turn it over to our container expert. Yeah, this is. I was really hoping for something that was going to make me like Spinnaker a little bit more, um, and this doesn't in the slightest. Uh, it's one of those things where 
it's still just against everything in my nature for how to manage containers. So you, you can set up a single ECS cluster somehow, um, and you can then point Spinnaker deployments at it. Um, there's no concept of multiple uh, clusters inside of an AWS account, um, which, you know, like it just, some of these concepts just don't make any sense to me. Like they've, they've adopted some very native cloud, you know, multi-cloud policies in Spinnaker uh, recently, but they still are really behind in what I consider, you know, a sophisticated container deployment orchestration. So it's, you know, health checks are great if you're using Spinnaker and you have a team that's managing your single ECS cluster for you and you can just do your deployments. I'm sure this helps out a lot of teams, but I just believe that application developers should have a little bit more insight into the cluster cluster workings. And when you don't, you lose so much. Do you think it has to do with just the, the heavy Netflix influence and their real specialized use case for what they need to do? I mean, possibly. The, I mean, the heavy Netflix influence I thought might have died in the way of EC2. But, you know, when Spinnaker sort of, you know, became open source and started adding Lambda support and other service support, um, it sort of diverged from what I thought was that heavy Netflix uh, influence. But I don't really know. But it could be. It's just every one of their every one of those products, when they come out, they it seems like something that I could use in a general sense across lots of customers. And then you dig into it. and got very specific use cases and I know Spinnaker is different. Um, but I was just curious. I haven't, I know that we, um, we just did a bake off with that for Kubernetes deployment and, uh, it lost, um, due to some of the heavy, uncomfortable configuration, uh, that, uh, had to be done to get it to do what we wanted it to do. So, yeah. What did it lose to? Um, have you, one of them was Lux CD. Mm-hmm. Heard which, of it. Uh, yeah, lightweight, um, simple, easy to get going uh, with a uh, few disadvantages. But yeah, that was the one for that use case that we, we picked. Did you evaluate any others or just the just those two? Yeah, there was one more and I can't remember what it was. That's what happens when you uh, don't do the work yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. It was a sprint demo, Justin. Why are you, why are you harassing me so? <laughs> I'm still waiting oh, yeah. for that unicorn of a service where I can manage my my underlying infrastructure and I can manage the deployment of my application in terms of like blue green or canary or, or uh, you know roll back roll forward um, all in one place. And so far, I have not found that special little box that contains everything, and that's what I really need. Yeah, I think it's the issue that the. Yeah, the the Kubernetes model is centralized Kubernetes cluster distributed application deployment. And so no one has a need to build the same tool for both use cases, unfortunately. You experimented all with drone by chance? No. It's on my list, but I haven't yet. We've had good experiences there. It's not pure open source. Like most, most, you can't really get away with the pure open source version. So that's a little bit of a blocker for some people, but good experiences all around on it from a usability standpoint. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, 
visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, Amazon Shield Threat Landscape Report is uh, now available for you. Of course, Shield is the managed threat protection service that safeguards applications running on Amazon against exploitation of application vulnerabilities, bad bots, and distributed denial of service attacks. Uh, the Threat Landscape Report, or TLR, uh, provides you with a summary of threats detected by Amazon Shield and is created by the Amazon Threat Research Team, uh, who continually monitor and assess the threat landscape to build protections on behalf of all AWS customers, uh, including rules and mitigations for services like AWS Managed Rules for Amazon WAF and AWS Shield Advanced. Uh, there's some interesting data in the Q1 report uh, that I thought I'd share. So they break this into volumetric threat anal- analytics and malware threat analysis. Uh, and so under the volumetric threat, uh, the total number of events uh, for Q1 of 2020 versus Q1 of 2019 uh, was 310, or 311,000, I see, rounded up, or about 23% up. Uh, the largest bitrate attack was 2.3 terabits per second, Holy uh, which is up 188% from prior year. <laughs> That's a lot of data. <laughs> uh, interesting enough, the, the largest request rate of 694,201 was down 31%. Uh, and they did say that in the period they had three days of elevated attack uh, period, which was up 200% from the quarter a year ago. Uh, and when they say elevated threat means there's three or four, three or two or three major attacks happening simultaneously on their infrastructure at the same time. So they had three days where that actually occurred, uh, which, you know, I wasn't impacted at all by any of that. So, you know, good job, AWS, <laughs> for keeping that yeah, away exactly. from me, uh, as you did. <laughs> Interesting enough, they, the malware threat analysis is a little bit different. So they compare, in this one, Q1 2020 with uh, Q4 2019. And so this is interesting because uh, the first one, the total number of events uh, or threat events that they attacked uh, developed with was 1.1 billion uh, in Q1, which is up 57% from Q4. Uh, so, you know, everyone's out there telling you how crazy things are going on with COVID and the security space and all that. A 57% impact of threat events uh, in one quarter is yeah. massive. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, unique joke. suspects was up. Uh, it was 1.6 million, or up 33% uh, from Q4 to Q1. So maybe a lot of unemployed hackers out there trying to uh, get their money mm, <laughs> in lot, situations in COVID. A lot of but, bored uh, people. <laughs> yeah, a lot of bored people, unfortunately. But that's a uh, you know. So when you talk about the threat and you know how much more phishing attacks there are, how much more things are going through the systems, uh, you know, one cloud provider saw a 60% increase. That's that's a lot. I think wow, at some just, point they just get tired of not succeeding. Well, I mean, this is what they caught. What what did succeed? That's the yeah. question. How many yeah. how many S three buckets were compromised <laughs> with bad permissions? I mean, there's all kinds of things. Uh, and we talked a lot about this actually in our Fugue interview with Josh Stella, right? Uh, so we talked a lot about this on his uh, on his interview on TCB Talks, where we talked about uh, their cloud security report uh, survey they just did, and we had a lot of talk about this kind of thing. So definitely check out products like Fugue and others uh, to help you keep your environment secure. How many dollars a minute is uh, 2.3 terabits a second? Yeah, really. <laughs> For the show, I was reading about, um, you know, and right now there's a national tragedy has happened, you know, with George Floyd dying and at the hands of police officers and the Black Lives Matter and all of the different things that are happening there. Uh, and, you know, that's bad. But one of the interesting things was that apparently there's some software that a lot of the police stations use uh, to track protesters. <laughs> and apparently it uh, has some vulnerabilities in it that ended up resulting in a large amount of uh, a Korean K-pop being uploaded to their S3 buckets <laughs> <laughs> in traumatic amounts of money, uh, you know, which, you know, is its own thing. But, uh, you know, we don't typically talk about politics here, but, uh, 
yeah, it was a little bit of a side interesting note that I was like, huh, that's that's really an interesting story. That, that's interesting. That that correlates with a post I had on Twitter a while ago about S3 vulnerabilities and how to how to spend people's money for them by by doing S3 copies. And you know, all those public buckets we've got massive data sets in from you know, the weather service and stuff. My my suggestion was to just use like an S3 copy to copy from one of these public buckets to somebody's open bucket. We could copy terabytes and terabytes of data, and they wouldn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but I've had so many more likes on that in the past few days, and that's. That's interesting. <laughs> now we know whose fault it is. So yep. uh, good job, the John. authorities come. <laughs> and I can cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> Your tweet's still out there. Your tweet's still out there, sir. It is. Well, uh, Amazon Redshift is now processing queries two times faster uh, when they need to be compiled. This improved query performance uh, when you create a new Redshift cluster onboard a new workload on an existing cluster or alter software or, or alter the software on the cluster. Uh, with this update, query compilations are now scaled to a serverless compute engine beyond the compute resources of the leader node of your cluster. And Amazon is also releasing an unlimited cache to store compiled objects to increase cache hits from 99.6% to 99.95% uh, when your mission critical queries are submitted to Redshift. It's coming. Serverless Redshift is coming. All these little <laughs> yeah. steps. All these little steps then building out little parts of the service. Baby steps. Yeah, the, the fact that they're scaling compute. I think, it, think it's an important direction to go. I think that's one of the advantages that people talk about Snowflake having over Redshift. So I think they got to go this direction. Moving on to Azure. At uh, Microsoft Build, Azure announced the Azure Peering Service uh, is now generally available, as well as introduced the new Routing Preference, a new option for Azure customers to further architect and optimize their traffic to and from Azure over the public internet. Uh, the peering service allows you to optimize the path to your doorstep. Uh, so this is not like AWS peering. Uh, this is actually uh, internet peering, <laughs> in the case, uh, or in industry terms, to the last mile delivery. Uh, Azure partners with ISPs, internet exchange providers, and software-defined cloud interconnect providers to al- provide reliable and performance public connectivity. Uh, and you can now, with the new routing preferences, you can say if you like all of your traffic to route over a specific carrier like AT&T or Verizon or default to the best performance for Azure uh, and they actually have some interesting graphs here that uh, I put into the show notes that I will do my best to describe. There's a long purple line that goes very long, and there's a short green line that's on the Azure network, and it's much shorter than the purple line. Uh, but we'll we'll keep this in the show notes so you guys can take a look at it. Uh, but uh, basically, the performance on the Azure backbone is actually significant, uh, pretty impressively fast uh, compared to the public internet. Uh, it looks like the round-trip milliseconds between the U.S. East and U.S. North region uh, on the public internet set was 27 seconds. On the Asia backbone, it was 23 seconds. Uh, and from uh, Ireland to U.S. West was 146 milliseconds on the public internet down to 120 uh, on the Microsoft network. So there you go. Pretty big improvements. I will say those graphs are a little misleading because they are not to scale when you look at the differences between... <laughs> Like they are not. I agree. Yeah, the numbers are are pretty. It's still impressive, but the the lines are misrepresented. Ping times on the whole story, though, right? I mean, if 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 you have a very non busy network, then ping times are going to be great. When do they test this? Like middle before of, they release mi- the product, of course. John. Middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> the quality of uh, this kind of material that comes out of Microsoft is very questionable. It's it not is. just Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is not just Microsoft. And you know, anytime we talk about these type of numbers on the show, or any other time, you know, definitely. You know, do your own testing because your results will vary uh, tremendously from what they're saying. Uh, is your workload's different, and that's fine, and that's okay. We're all right with that. Everyone is different. I'm just waiting for the comment about the name 
of the Microsoft network. For premium network? Premium. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was a little bit interested that this uh, article was missing costs. I didn't, I didn't see anywhere it mentioned how much it was going to cost you to run the Azure premium network versus your own. But uh, I didn't go much further down the, the rabbit hole. Uh, so actually, someone even commented on this. What's with the misleading bar graphs? It makes Microsoft look desperate. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Someone even commented yeah. on their own blog post that they were looking a little desperate. It's hilarious. <laughs> All right. Well, as we mentioned at the top of the show at DockerCon, uh, Microsoft and Docker are collaborating in new ways to deploy containers on Azure. Uh, this includes the integration of Docker Desktop into Visual Studio line of products. The Docker desktop built-in tools, features, and command line utilities will provide a way to natively set Azure as a context, run containers in the cloud with contact, uh, and run in Azure containers with a few simple commands. And this will allow you to set Azure context for your containers and run them in Azure container platform right from your Docker desktop. Uh, this will all be coming to Docker desktop very, very soon. I hope it also doesn't include a you know 300 terabyte download in, to get the base Windows container as well. Not if it goes through the Microsoft Premium Network. It won't take that long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was all set to make a joke about the size of Windows containers, but now I'm just lusting over integrating Docker Desktop with with Visual Studio, and my life will be complete. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of plugins with Visual Studio Code for Docker already. Yeah, no, I use I use several. So, well, the uh, Azure Maps Creator uh, has really bad timing as it gets announced in preview. Uh, enterprises continue to evolve their digital transformation journey, and there is a need for augmenting Azure Maps content with project specific and private business knowledge of places. And so you can now use the Azure Maps Creator in Preview to extend location intelligence to indoor spaces. Yeah, indoor spaces, not a place that you're going to need a lot of mapping these days, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but enterprises can take advantage of Azure Maps capabilities to optimize business operations and transform their business strategy using location and map services. Uh, they also go on to talk about the tight integration with IoT-based uh, location beacons and how that helps you navigate uh, patterns. And so they have a really cool demo in here where they talk about finding someone's cube in a very non-socially distanced office <laughs> floor plan. Uh, that basically you know helps you find your way through a building or through a shopping mall or whatever. Uh, you know when I was at uh, a three letter named company that sold help desk software, we had a product that worked on mobile, and uh, one of the things was wayfinding in the mobile application and being able to give you turn by turn directions in the office building. And the biggest uh, blocker to adoption of that was the cost to map your office space oh. <laughs> to even use it. Um, and so this is a great feature for companies who are really interested in that kind of capability. Uh, and have, you know, large enterprise campuses that no one is at right now uh, if they want to help people get around. Maybe, you know, maybe Azure could use this in the warehouse technology, though. Maybe that'll help them out. I don't know. I was at a three-letter acronym technology company at a huge office that literally every single, it was it was the perfect grid. Every single uh, aisle was identical. This would have come in so handy. I got lost so many times going to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, when I, was a, when I was a wee lad and high school, I think I did an office visit to Warehouser's corporate headquarters in Seattle. Um, and it was just a massive cube farm. And they partner you with this person. And it was an IT person because of course I was a nerd and I wanted to be in computers. And so, you know, I'm in this basement at Warehouser in this cube farm. And, you know, she's like, we're gonna go talk to Bob. And like, you know, I'm just trying to follow her through the curves and the turns of this, you know, eight foot high cubicle wall. I was like, this is awful. And I was like, I almost swore off ever going into IT <laughs> because I was like, I don't want to do this job. This is awful. Like you're in a terrible building with, you know, with these terrible cube walls. And it, like, it reminded me of Dilbert cartoons right there. It was pretty awful. Memories <laughs> of times when you could go outside. <laughs> well, Azure has a new virtual machine type for you. Actually, two of them. The new really released DDv4 and EDv4, uh, that's the erectile dysfunction instance type if you weren't playing along at home, 
Uh, these offer up to 64 virtual CPUs and are based on the Intel Xeon Platinum 8272CL processor. Uh, these processors run on a base speed of 2.5 gigahertz and can achieve up to 3.4 gigahertz all-core turbo frequency when using Viagra. The DD and DDS virtual machines feature fast, large local SSD storage up to 2400 gigabits per second and are well-suited for applications benefiting from low-latency, high-speed local storage. The EDV4 series and EDS V4 series virtual machines offer up to 504 gigabytes of RAM. Good to see Microsoft finally got their ED instances off. <laughs> <laughs> My sense of humor hasn't really matured since I was about 12, so this works out. Really yeah, good. and then, you know, I'm a good up in the house, so any, anytime I get these dad jokes out, I will, I will use them to my <laughs> advantage. <laughs> All right, well, we're talking about Google. Uh, Google Cloud is adding Smart Analytics uh, framework for AI platform notebooks. Uh, the Smart Analytics Framework brings close the model training and deployment offered by AI platforms with the ingestion, pre-processing, and exploration capabilities of our Smart Analytics platform. Uh, with Smart Analytics Frameworks, you can run petabyte-scale SQL queries with BigQuery, generate personalized Spark environments to Dataproc Hub, and develop interactive Apache Beam pipelines to launch on Dataflow. Uh, these new frameworks can help bridge the gap between cloud tools and bring a secure way to explore all kinds of data. And I don't know what anything I just said to you guys was, so hopefully one of you does. I can't say one of our one of our first legitimate multi-cloud customers is um, added Google specifically for their advantages in AI. So, uh, you know, they're marching forward. I'm sure this is going to be great. Google Cloud is also announcing three new initiatives. First, they're introducing Google Cloud skill badges, with, which will recognize and help employers identify those of you who demonstrated Google Cloud tech skills on your LinkedIn profiles. Uh, and for experienced professionals, they have created a new six-week learning path to guide you through the certification and preparation journey uh, to get Google certified. And lastly, in response to overwhelming market demand during COVID, they have made remote certification exams available so you can take your exam from home. Uh, now, it was interesting. They had a Google YouTube video here on what to expect when you get to do your uh, online certification class. And it's uh, great because it actually tells you all the things that everyone on the Amazon side learned the hard way that, you know, you can't talk to yourself, you can't read out loud, you had to... Basically, make your desk look like no one lives at your house uh, and all the fun things when you're doing virtual proctoring. Uh, the video is very helpful. If you are looking to do this, uh, definitely check that out uh, to help you get prepared for Google Cloud certification. Is Amazon doing virtual proctoring now? Yes, for all classes. They announced it uh, one of the episodes you missed. Oh, awesome. Good for me. I need to take like two. I think I need to renew. Yes, so you can now do them virtually proctored at home as long as you have a room that you can lock yourself into with four walls. Uh, you have a camera or webcam that you can reflect your vision on. So you actually do this thing where you you take a video of your room while they can see it because you're you know because versus your laptop they don't want you to move your laptop around. It's kind of fun. So cool. Lots of, oh wow! You should also watch the Google video because it is helpful for even the Amazon exams. Nice. Yeah, I somehow suspect uh, this is going to eliminate me from getting any more certifications because a cleaning my desk not going to happen, and then not talking <laughs> to yourself. Like, come on. I know. Are I, they I, making I, these rules we'll like, for me? I do, I do have a tendency, I think, to kind of like at least move my lips as I'm reading it out loud. It's something that's really complicated, like as I'm trying to like think it through. Uh, so, yeah, that's a little bit of a challenge for me as well. But, uh, you know, it might be the only way I can renew my DevOps Pro Cert this year since uh, reInvent is probably not happening. When I got my DevOps Pro, the person in the booth next to me who was taking like a plumbing exam uh, was reading every question out loud. <laughs> nice. The socket fits into the male end of the pipe. <laughs> then we solder it. Yeah. Uh, oh, so I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it reinvent. I think I've told the story in the show before. So for those of you who've been long-term listeners, sorry, repeat. Uh, for everyone else, it's new to them. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, so I did it. I did it at reinvent. 
And uh, the guy to my left, the guy to my right were both taking the same test I was. And the one on the left fails and storms out. And then the person on the right, you know, fails and storms out. And I'm like, well, you know, what are the odds? One in a three could pass this test, right? It could be me. I don't know. And uh, so it's, you know, you hit submit and then it makes you do a survey, which is the most annoying thing ever. Because all I want to know is if I passed or not. Yeah. But they don't want me, they don't want to taint the survey results because if they tell you you failed, <laughs> you'll you'll then taint the survey. So you get through all the thing and then you hit submit and it comes up and I pass and it took everything in my being not to just stand up and go, yes, as loud as possible. Cause there's still like 12 other people still testing in the testing room at the same time. But uh, yeah, it was a, it, it's more fun to do at reinvent. I think just because everyone else is doing the same test you are and you can, you can kind of have that camaraderie versus the plumber who I'm sure you didn't share a beer with afterwards for pa- passing the test. Plus not. you get t-shirts and stickers right when you pass, which is awesome. So it's like instant gratification to me. And question one of the plumbing test, who do you blame for this mess? the last guy who came out <laughs> <laughs> all right and our last google story for the night uh, google is working with cloud sql customers facing business continuity challenges and to help solve they're launching cloud sql cross-region replication which is available for both mysql and postgres of course the cross-region replicas has several great features uh, to make it easy to use including being fully managed so you can easily set it up maintain manage and administer replicas in any region of the cloud uh, there's no networking setup because it uses the global VPC, which it uses private IP addresses for replication traffic between regions, eliminating the need for complex VPN and VPC configurations, which would be otherwise needed to set up cross-region networking. Uh, cross-region replication traffic uses reliable, high-performing, and scalable Google Cloud networking. The network monitoring verification optimization is simplified using proactive network operations with Network Intelligence Center. Data at rest is encrypted with the CMEKs, or Customer Managed Encryption Keys. And part of access transparency will show any actions taken by Google on your SQL database, as well as the connection org policy control to limit public IP settings for cloud SQL, as well as enforce the residency policy, which allows you to enforce which regions are permitted for your read replicas, uh, all available to you out of the box with the cross-region replica for cloud SQL. DR made easy. Yeah, this one, uh, I'm a little jealous of this one. <laughs> I would like to see this one in AWS. Don't AWS already have read replicas for SQL databases? They have read ones, but they don't. I still do networking magic. Yeah, for RDS. <laughs> <laughs> true, not for RDS. That's very, very fair. Well, that is it for new news this week, uh, other than lightning round. Peter, take us away. All right. Take us away or take it away. I'd be happy to be taken away right now. Either one is fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hit it. Azure Site Recovery now supports proximity placement groups. I mean, if I'm recovering from a DR event, I don't give a crap about placement groups. Just get it up. Yeah, talking about the ED product again. <laughs> <laughs> Azure Database's extension for Visual Studio Code now exists. Because what you want is your engineers making database changes in Visual Studio. Directly in the IDE. Yeah. Nothing, what, could go, what could possibly go wrong? I'm sure we could integrate that into our change management process. <laughs> AWS Fargate now encrypts data stored on ephemeral storage by default in platform version 1.4. Finally, the Amazon engineers listened to their CTO who wore an Encrypt Everything t-shirt in 2018. <laughs> kind of get the feeling this is one of those features that they told everyone was done and then it wasn't done. And so they had to do it later. <laughs> well, they have processes to go back and, and, and wipe all the ephemeral storage before a new tenant moves in. It wasn't a security risk in itself. Well, Fargate's on... What is it? Nitro and fire, a firecracker, right? So yeah. it's, it's a whole different ball game. There's a lot more isolation than even like EC. Well, I don't know about more than EC2, but yeah. I actually cloned the the, uh, the firecracker repos 
over the weekend with the intention of setting something up at home. Ooh. It looks awesome. <laughs> Keeping with the lightning theme, AWS Toolkit for JetBrains announces support for CLion, PHP Storm, Golan, RubyMine, IDE. And now we all know how to pronounce CLion. Yeah, CLion. Client, CLion. But, you know, JetBrains, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about all these dedicated IDEs for specific languages. Like, why can't you just be a generic IDE like the rest of us and just... You support things with plugins and extensions like normal people. All individually licensed but as normal well. Normal people do. Amazon MSK now supports Apache Kafka version upgrade. Woo! You mean redeploying my my Apache Kafka cluster for every new version I want? It wasn't going to be the way they wanted us to upgrade forever? Oh, okay. Hmm. All that automation code I wrote, out the window. Out the window. I don't know. Upgrade's in place. That's not very cloudy. Deploy a new one. Move the data over. Oh, but yeah. oh, but the the complexity of that with Kafka. Oh my God, <laughs> no! You can now deploy AWS config rules and conformance packs across an organization from a delegated member account. Coming soon towards you. Your security team will screw up your account. <laughs> I like coming soon towards you. By the way, so, that, yeah, sorry. That, that that wording might win you something tonight. <laughs> <laughs> AWS SAM adds support for AWS step function. Should have been, it should have been the lightning round, actually. This was, that's, that's a really awesome yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be rad. <laughs> yeah. It was. Well, if you had been here for the show run through, you would have been able to move it. <laughs> Go ahead. Give us, give, us a, give, us a, give us two sentences. Rat hole. Two sentences? 18 words. 18 words. This feature <laughs> enables <laughs> local development and testing of step functions of step functions he's counting Ooh. as he goes on his fingers <laughs> i get it which are otherwise a real pain in the ass nice i mean I, I, I mean i'm kind of calling bull hikey on this because i think i think it was you jonathan who told me how much you hate serverless framework and how much sam sucks and all that and now they give you a state machine and you're like woo. No, no, the, those two statements do not mutually exclude each other. It still sucks. It still doesn't do everything I want it to. It will still bite me in the middle of a project, yeah. but it does a little bit more. It makes my life a little bit easier, so this is still cool. <laughs> it does. Amazon SageMaker components for Kubeflow pipeline. I think you should get the point for Kubeflow pronouncing <laughs> yeah. that. Kubecubes. I was going with Kubeflow. I, I think Kubeflow is how I would say that. Kubeflow, not Kubeflow. Who doesn't love, you know, taking a complicated thing like SageMaker and machine learning AI and then shoving it into Kubernetes in a flow? It seems ripe for opportunities. Amazon FSx for Windows File Server now enables you to grow storage and to scale performance on your file systems. Isn't that what you want all of your file systems to do is to perform and support the growth that I have in the cloud? You know, growing the existing storage isn't very cloudy. You should just deploy a new one. <laughs> there yeah, you there you go. <laughs> deploy a new one. Deploy new data. Just deploy new data. Use Apache Hive Metastore as a metadata catalog with Amazon Athena. Are you sure that's not the name of the next J.J. Abrams me- you know, movie? <laughs> Apache Hives, <laughs> Athena Gods, Metastore, Metexploit. I mean, there's, there's so much opportunity there. I can't compete against this, this level of uh, wit. AWS <laughs> Systems Manager Explorer now provides a multi-account, multi-region summary of AWS Compute Optimizer recommendations. So you don't have to be in my account to realize that I should probably deploy a different type of instance. I think this is a great thing to give to your CFO. Here, it's an account just for you. 
And then here's the speed dial to all the people who own these accounts. <laughs> I, uh, the winner today is just bad grammar. <laughs> <laughs> I like this. I like this trend. This is going to benefit me. <laughs> I don't see bad grammar on the boat on the score sheet. So Ryan. Yeah. With um, his bad this, grammar. Yeah. Perfect. It's just that. That was brilliant. <laughs> problem i have now is i have ryan with his bad grammar technique i have jonathan with his make the first one or the last one the best one possible so either shut down the game at the beginning or shut it down at the very end and then i'm just here trying to i'm just here trying to swim through i'm just here trying to make it make it you know i'm just a squirrel trying to find a nut guys and you you're like you're like the fullback on the team making all the key blocks and no one don't get any credit for it that's fine that's fine i'm okay with it the guy in the lead is the one complaining by the way I'm only in the lead because Jonathan wasn't here last week, darn it. And if he was here last week, I'm sure that I would not be in the lead at this moment. <laughs> I have, it's multiple avenues of strategy involved. I see the strategy of moving the crappy ones to the front and end of the list now. Well, I mean, we just, I, they kind of go where they come. I, I, I typically don't move them into a specific order. Uh, unless you guys tell me to do it during the show run through. Uh, well, that's that's it. Unless, uh, you know, is there anything interesting coming up in the next few weeks you guys are excited about? I know we're still here in quarantine day 6,543. Uh, I know we're also under curfew uh, because of the social unrest that's out there. And hopefully that comes to some resolution or civil war. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. I can't, I can't say, but it's definitely well, got to get fixed. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Jonathan's going to have to edit out the helicopters flying over me because I'm like ground zero in Kansas City on the Country Club Plaza right now. You were like, yeah, I'm going to get away from COVID by going to Midwest. It'll be safer. Now, how do you feel about that now? Uh, not good. <laughs> yeah, not things good. are reopening here. You know, we, uh, we can now eat outside at a restaurant if you in 95 degree heat. So, you know, we have that going yeah, for us now, awesome. which is yeah. super awesome. Good start. Well, uh, I think we're getting pretty close to uh, you know Google's twelve thousand weeks of Google Next. That's coming up very soon, so do check that out if you're interested. Uh, and there'll be much, much more coming up here at the Cloud Pod in future weeks. So uh, have a great week. I will see you guys all next week here at the Cloud Pod. Good night. See you soon. Bye bye. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions. Mm-hmm.